All right. Good evening. Good evening. Hey, there we go. There we go. So uh, dispense with the introductions because they've already been made. But I just wanted to start by saying about four and a half years ago, my wife and I stood before a church that we had planted in Bozeman, Montana, and we'd been there for about seven years. The church was self-sufficient and it was ready to fly on its own. We stood there that morning to tell them that in four months' time, we would be moving to Chicago, Illinois to, start a, uh, a, to actually restart a struggling church. The refrain we heard that day was one we've heard many times <laughs> before and many times since, not from everybody, but definitely from a few. And it might have been one that resounded deep down in your heart when I said that. And it sounds like this. Why would anyone move to that place? You can imagine people from Montana grappling with the idea of moving to Chicago. And that's actually a good question. Uh, six months before that, I might have said something very similar. <laughs> As we began to feel God tugging us, and moving us. And as I've said in the class I was in this morning, and we've said many times before, Lydia and I are serial offenders. We've started uh, and, and helped start churches in Texas, uh, in Washington, uh, Ohio, Montana, and as IMB missionaries in Poland, we help nationals there start churches. So we, we've done this over and over again, and we've always kind of come up against that verse that I mentioned this morning where we had to, to lay down our desires and our dreams to discover what God's were. And I remember thinking the Lord was leading us to a place where we would be able to use our Polish language. And if you know anything about, about Chicago at all, it has a huge Polish population. Um, but for some reason, for one reason or another, we called, uh, we called Atlanta, we, and we called Nam like the Sind cities, right? So the, the different Sind cities across the country, we called uh, Atlanta, we called Cleveland, we called Indianapolis, uh, we toyed around with a couple others and talked to different people, and every time we spoke to the missionary in that city, they would all say the same thing. Have you prayed about Chicago? And we always felt like, no, <laughs> I don't really want to go to Chicago, and it wasn't, it, and we are going to be talking about Jonah tonight. We're going to be in chapter four. It was never quite for the reasons Jonah rebuffed God's calling. But I, I really don't know what it was. Maybe we just had different ideas. But we had to come to the realization that God was calling us there and that that's the place we would go. Today, the mere mention of Chicago leaves some... Uh, hesitancy, maybe, and maybe worse when you hear it. It gives you a certain impression, and often not a good one. If you have heard about Chicago in the news at all, it's almost always bad. Uh, most American Christians we talk to, when they hear the word Chicago, utter the same words. I would never go there. It's too big. It's too liberal. There's too much traffic. It's too dangerous. It's too... Uh, too many people, too far from God. The reasons that one wouldn't go to Chicago are as easy to come up with um, as anything. The, 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 the list goes on and on. But what if all of those reasons are exactly why we should go to Chicago? 
I'm sure you know the story of Jonah, and I'm going to recap it for you real briefly, starting in chapter 4, where we'll get there. But starting at the beginning, God called Jonah. We know this story, many of us. Jonah defied God, went to the sea to escape God's calling. God sent a storm. Sailors threw him overboard. The sea went calm, ingested by a whale, spit up on the shore three days later. God again calls Jonah. Jonah says, okay, I'll go this time, God. He goes. Uh, He tells the Ninevites what God tells him to say to them, and they repent. And then at the end of Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, we hear these words. When God saw what they did, speaking about the Ninevites, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. As we pick up the story in chapter 4, here's how we think it should end. Jonah returns home with a smile on his face at a job well done and, and, and pride in his heart for doing such a good job at following the Lord. And he gets a book deal uh, and he publishes a book and he travels throughout the Middle East speaking about this story and, and encouraging people and signing autographs. That's kind of how we think it would end, right? But, but it's completely the opposite because instead we'll find out Jonah gets angry. In verse 1 and 2 of chapter 4, it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. I don't know, even reading those words makes me nervous. It's amazing that, that, that Jonah went to the Lord and said, basically, the reason I didn't go is because I knew you were a good God, and if they turned, you would save them. And it's, it's like at that moment, you kind of want to take a step back from Jonah in case the lightning, in case the Lord calls him right at that morning and just strikes him dead. It's a very bold statement. If you... Save those people. That would make me angry. So I'm not going to go. Now, before we reject this as utterances of a crazy man, I want us to think about and examine our own hearts here because Jonah has unwittingly put his finger on the human condition. He has a heart sickness, and he reveals to us that we also have a heart sickness. Before we reject this story as too fanciful, and too crazy. We need, to look at their, we need to take a look at our own. And this morning I mentioned uh, the, the thesis statement for tonight's message. You might not have realized it, but it sounds like this. We don't see things the way God sees them, and we don't want the things God wants. That's often true for us. We don't see things the way God sees them. And because we don't see them that way, we don't desire to see the same things come about that God wants to do. And in this situation, what did God want? He wanted the Ninevites to have an opportunity to respond and repent and be saved. But what did Jonah want? Jonah wanted justice. Jonah wanted justice. Have you ever been on the interstate, you're doing whatever speed you're doing, and and this car just flies by you? And maybe they fly by you on the wrong side, 
And that really gets under your skin. And you're like, man, I hope something happens. And you come over the next rise, and sure enough, they're pulled over. And you're like, yeah. You were going 80 and a 70. That doesn't matter. They were going faster, and you're glad that they got theirs. That's Jonah. He wanted to see them burn. (laughs) He was uninterested in their salvation because he didn't see things the way God saw them, and he didn't want the things that God wanted. What did God want? To see them repent and to see them obey. And when they repented, God had compassion, and he did not bring upon them the destruction that he threatened God did, or Jonah did at that moment, what any mature, rational, adult God follower would do. He threw a temper tantrum. He threw a temper tantrum, saying in chapter, in verse 3, Therefore, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Literally, do you have the right to be angry about this? Jonah is only concerned with what he can sees, what he can see. And what he sees is not God's perspective at all. But you know what? Jonah is me. And I'm Jonah. In fact, when I did this series a couple years back at our, at our church in Montana, or in, a, well, not in Montana, in, a, in Elmwood Park, I had a shirt printed up that said, don't be Jonah. <laughs> And I wore it that Sunday, and halfway through the message, I took my shirt off and revealed the shirt, don't be like Jonah. And, and I wear that every once in a while to remind us not to be like Jonah. When our heart is sick and we don't get our way, it rears its ugly head. Have you ever seen a toddler have a temper tantrum? A three-year-old, a four-year-old. Maybe you remember one of your own temper tantrums. You're playing with some toys or a doll uh, or something, and you get into a disagreement, and all of a sudden, you don't get your way, and it's an explosion of toys and violence. How about a toddler at the grocery store that's not getting their way? Have you ever seen uh, a kid at Walmart have a meltdown in the toy aisle because mama said no? Or the toddler that's tired in the zoo? Or walking in the park and they sit down and mom keeps going like she's going to leave and the child just lays there on the ground with their arms out flailing and crying. The issue here is that some of us, many of us have never outgrown that. Deep down inside, we still have this toddler mentality towards things. And when we don't get what we want and things don't work out the way we want because we're not seeing what God sees, we get frustrated and we get angry. And we throw a temper tantrum and we throw our hands up in the air and say, I'd rather be dead if I can't have it my own way. The saddest thing about this whole exchange is that Jonah felt completely justified in his position. I don't see any remorse. I don't see any sorrow here. That's because he didn't see things God's way. And he didn't want the things that God wants. Jonah 4, verse 4, the Lord says, do you do well to be angry? Literally asking Jonah, do you have the right to be angry about this? It's a rhetorical question, but one that needs asking nonetheless. And it's the question that puts the finger on the heart of the sickness that we all have. And of course, the answer is no. Right? Do you have any right to be angry? No. 
you and I look at the story and wonder, how could anybody be so brash and so bold in their dealings with God? But we shouldn't wonder about this because we do it ourselves often. Have you ever found yourself being unjustifiably angry with God about something? It happens if we're honest with ourselves. Now, Jonah's temper tantrum continues in verse 5. It says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city, made a booth for himself there, kind of a tent. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant, made it come up over Jonah that it might shade over his head to save him from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah, uh, so much so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and said, it is better for me to die than to live. His temper tantrum continues. He went out to the east of the city. He sat down in a place where he had a view of the city, and I think secretly hoping that the Ninevites wouldn't turn and repent, and he could see the barbecue. He could watch God roast that city, and then they would get theirs, and they would get what they deserved. Something unusual happened, though. Um, God had mercy (laughs) on Jonah, and grew a vine to give him a place for shade. And just as quickly as he enjoyed that shade, a worm came that God appointed, killed the vine, and taking the shade with it, to the point that the sun beat down on Jonah's head, kind of like yesterday, in such a way that he grew faint. And again, Jonah uttered those famous, famous prophety words uttered by missionaries, pastors, and Christ followers all across the world and throughout all time. It would be better for me to die than to live. Sad. <laughs> really, isn't it? A toddler response. But God had a lesson in this for Jonah, and he has a lesson in it for us. In verse 9, God said to Jonah, do you do well? Literally again, do you have a right to be angry for the plant? And Jonah said, yes, I do. I am angry enough to die. Wow, over a plant. You see where God's headed here, right? He's setting him up to pull the rug. I'm just going to go out here on a limb in this moment and say, if God ever starts a question to you with, do you have the right? The answer is likely no. But God asks this question to get at the core of Jonah's heart sickness. And this story is contained in our scripture in the word of God to help us get at our heart sickness. God is pointing out to us and to Jonah that if we peel back the layers at the very center of everything is this core of selfishness. It's about me and mine. It really is true what they say. The heart wants what the heart wants. Jeremiah 17, 9 gets at this heart sickness saying, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And if we are honest with ourselves and with our own hearts, we can see the truth in this. 
Now, God explains at the end of this chapter his intent. The Lord says in verse 10, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being at night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh? The big question. That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Jonah reveals his self-centeredness and his attitude towards the plant, and God peels that back. He peels it back to reveal to Jonah that he is more concerned with his own personal definition of justice and with his own self-centeredness and his own vision of well-being with this vine event. Jonah is more interested in himself. Again, because we don't see things the way God sees them. And because of this, we don't want what God wants. It's interesting at this point, the text falls completely silent. It seems like there's something missing. We don't know what happens. We don't know if Jonah responded. We don't know how he responded. We don't know if his heart was changed. We don't even know if he received the message. But the question for us tonight is, did we receive the message? Did we capture the message that God is sending. I remember some years back, Lydia and I were speaking at a stateside church um, when we were international missionaries and we were working with IMB in Poland and we were planning churches and all kinds of uh, great things that we would share when we would come back every two or three years with churches across the country. And someone came up to us afterwards and said a very similar Jonah-y thing. They said, I am so glad you're doing this because I would never do it. And I wanted to take a step back <laughs> because I was like, what are you saying? <laughs> I mean, that's like literally saying, I'm not going to do what you call me to do, God. I won't go where you call me to go. And that's like literally saying, I don't care about those people over there that you've called me to. I don't care if you love them and you want to see them repent and be saved. I'm not going to be the one to go. And I wish I could tell you that I only heard that one time, but we heard it many times. And I always wondered to myself, are they listening to what they're saying? I've heard professing Christians utter that repeatedly. I wouldn't go to Poland. I would never go to Chicago. I'm so glad called you and you responded because I wouldn't do that thing. If you think about it, it sounds a lot like Jonah, doesn't it? It sounds a lot like Jonah because when we tell God we're not going to go somewhere or do what he says, it is as if we're saying, I don't care about those people that you're calling me to. God, I don't care if you love those people there. I won't go. Now, when I think of Chicago, I hear the question the Lord asked of Jonah, the question to which we have no answer in Scripture. Should I not be concerned about that great city? I don't think we would have to argue very much that Chicago is a great city in size. It's a great city for a lot of other reasons as well. But Nineveh was a 
town, if you will, of 120,000, there's over 9 million in the greater Chicago area. And the further out you go, the larger that number gets. It's a tremendous number of people to wrap your head around. And maybe there is no answer to this question because the question is actually a rhetorical question, isn't it? When God says, should I not be concerned about that great city? The answer, of course, is yes. I should be concerned about that great city. And you should be concerned about that great city. And all Christians should be concerned about that great city and all the other great cities out there, no matter how far they are from God. No matter how many people they live there, no matter how crowded it is. I tell you what, um, when I stand between my house and the house next door, I can touch them like this. And we live in a, in a, in a suburb right at the edge of Chicago. The, the closer you get into town, <laughs> the narrower that passage gets. And for a lot of us, that's uncomfortable. But it doesn't matter what the dangers are to where God calls us. It doesn't matter if there are liberals or conservatives. It doesn't matter whether there's construction or traffic or crime. All that matters is that you and your church see the people and the places like Chicago the way God does. And I have to tell you that up until now, we have just been thrilled with the partnership that we have with this church, because I sense that here in this church, there are people that have a heart for places outside of Paducah, places outside of Kentucky, places like Chicago, Illinois, places like New York City, places like LA. Houston's going to be the next big city. In fact, they say Houston's going to overtake Chicago for number three here pretty soon, if it hasn't already. And then across the world, we, we, we think New York and L.A. are big. <laughs> Go to some of the foreign national capitals that are tremendous, 15, uh, 15 million, 20 million. Can you even imagine the enormity of a city that big? God loves Chicago. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for the people of Chicago. And I thank God that he has called your church to partner with us in Chicago. And I question to you tonight is, have we reached the pinnacle of that connection? Or is God calling you to something further? Maybe as a church, maybe as individuals. To serve him in Chicago, maybe even somewhere else. Somewhere equally foreign to Paducah. And some of you are sitting there saying, I'm too old to go do that, and you would be wrong. <laughs> when we were in Poland, how old was Patsy? She was 75. We had a 75-year-old woman, single woman, join our team for two years and serve alongside us. She didn't learn a whole lot of Polish, but she loved a lot of people. And she shared the gospel everywhere she went. And you're not too young either. We had our children with us when we went and the youngest, how old was our youngest then? Two. two? People have babies on the field. You, you can't argue about being too young. But maybe the Lord's calling you to serve him in a different way. Beware of the way you answer. <laughs> 
Remember how Jonah answered. We, honestly, we don't know. Maybe it's better we don't know what happened. Maybe Jonah continued to have a sour disposition and the Lord had to take him out. I don't know. We have no idea. But maybe it's Chicago. Maybe it's somewhere else. But I, I, I implore you and I pray and I ask for you to consider, what is the Lord saying to you tonight? How can he help you to see what he sees? What does he need to change in your heart for you to want the things that he wants instead of the things that you want and the things that I want? Because that's the business that God is in. He's in the business of changing our hearts. He's in the business of calling us to something bigger than ourselves Something to which we might be tempted to say, I don't know, God. (laughs) But those are the things he calls us to. If you could do it in your own power, what would be the point? I have to tell you, every time the God's called us to the next place, it's always been with some hesitancy. Uh, we, We started in seminary by helping uh, some other seminary students start churches. We weren't the lead people. And then we moved on from there, and we went to Ohio and started a a church in a town, no building, no people. We went there, we moved there, and we started a church that grew to self-sufficiency. We left there thinking, we're going to go do something. We could do this. In fact, I remember thinking about three years in, I could do this again. Warning. God said, you could, but first you need to learn a lesson in Poland (laughs) where you can't do it. And I remember the first year in Poland, Lydia and I, many times at night, falling asleep in our beds with a pile of Polish books, trying to learn Polish, thinking, I'm angry enough to die. This is horrible. I will never be able to speak this language. And, and seven or eight years later, we, we learned it. <laughs> we were speaking, and we were doing the things God called us to. And we're like, okay. Maybe we could do this again. And the Lord says, no, now you're going to Montana. We're like, but nobody speaks Polish in Montana, God. He's like, that's okay. He sent us there to a building with no people. A church had died. A building had sat empty for about four years. We moved there in a, a, neighbor, a church in a neighboring town in the, the Montana Baptist Convention said, here's a building, start a church. So we started a church there. And seven years later, that church was self-sufficient. And we're like, okay, what's next, God? Because we, we quit trying to say, yeah, I could do this again. Now we're kind of to the point where we're like, we're 54. I don't know if I could do this again. <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen next? He sends us to Chicago, Illinois, to Elmwood Park, to a place where there's both a building and some people, but the church is dying. About 25 people in a large building. Uh, with a lot of needs in the building and about another 25 people that have no way to connect to the church because there's no membership class. There's no pathway to, to join. The church has really lost its way and it's lost its connection with its community and it's, it's shrinking and it's dying. And they, they, you know, they, they call us from Chicago. We kind of had a connection because of the speaking Polish. And they said, will you come here and will you help this church in a community that's got Polish and Hispanic and it's, 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 it's a big mix? You know, that's kind of how Chicago is, right? 
And can you come and can you restart a church? And we're like, we've never done that before. That must be what we're supposed to do because I think we've learned by now that God calls us to do something different every time he moves us. I always talk to guys like your pastor and I and, and, and try to, you know, kind of get a heartbeat of what they're about. And he's like, he's been here 20 years. And I was like, wow, can you imagine being in one place for 20 years? No, Lydia's like, no. We've been in Texas, Washington, Ohio, Poland, Montana, Chicago. So six places in 20 years. Wow, that's a lot. Some of them, we weren't there terribly long. Some were seminary. Uh, some were summer programs. But I tell you what, over and over again, when the Lord's called us, again, like I mentioned this morning, we have to come back to that verse in Romans 12, 1 and 2, and just say, Lord, we have to put our needs, our desire, our will, our dreams down and sacrifice those for what you want. Lord, show us what you see and teach us to want what you want. Uh, and that's where we're at right now. And I, I hope that we'll see some more of you. We've seen some of you in Chicago for volunteer teams. We obviously had COVID, same as you, although it lasted longer in Chicago. I'm not sure why. Um, <laughs> don't fill in the blank there. We're not going to get into politics. <laughs> but I tell you what, um, we are excited to see the rest of you join us in Chicago. We have a lot of great things going on and a lot of potential. Um, and I tell you what, it is a blessing to be connected with a church like this. I pray that you guys continue to seek after the Lord, continue to, to see what God sees and want what God wants and see where God calls you and see where God calls his church. And um, man, I'm, I'm grateful for folks like your pastor, for Patrick, for Jeff, who have walked alongside of us. Uh, and administer to us. And some of you, there's a couple here that have been. Where are you guys? There's a couple here tonight that have been to Chicago. Where are you? There they are, right there. And there's others that aren't here tonight. But I hope that you will join them in the future and that we'll be seeing you there. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then Patrick's going to come up and lead us. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Lord, we are struck with this message tonight. Uh, maybe we've heard it many times. Maybe some of us, it was the first time. And Lord, as we let this message sink into our hearts tonight, I pray that you will identify in us places, times, and opportunities where you have called to us to do something and we've said no. Lord, forgive us where we have been bold and brash enough to say no to you. Lord, give us eyes to see what you see. Hearts to feel what you feel. And to think the way you think. Help us to draw correct conclusions as we struggle and pray and desire to know your will. Lord, we thank you for calling us. We thank you for using us. We thank you that your call on our lives doesn't end at the amen of our salvation. But Lord, that's just the beginning as you work that out in our lives until we join you. Lord, we thank you for this church. Lord, I thank you for this church, for the partnership in the gospel 
that you have built between our churches. I pray, Lord, that wouldn't be a one-way partnership, but Lord, that we could offer something as well as partners in ministry and partners in the gospel. And I look forward to members of this church joining us in Chicago to be salt and light in a place where most of the nine million people don't know you as Lord and Savior. Lord, thank you for calling us to great cities. They're hard, but they're worth it. Lord, we love you, and we honor you, and we're listening to you in Jesus' name. Amen.